welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Uh, lots of young people were turning their lives over to Jesus as something we hadn't seen for some time in this culture, and it was really messy, okay? Uh, we kind of brought into the church and these fellowships all our attitudes, like anybody over 30 was the enemy, and we wanted to stick it to the man, and they didn't know how to do things that we did, and it was messy. Um, there were a lot of different types of churches and fellowships. Many of them were very independent. So I would visit different ones and participate in different ones. I remember one, everybody, young and old, was lined up, up to the pulpit. And then people would come up and one at a time they would say the word of knowledge that the Holy Spirit had just given them. Then I remember another where nobody got to talk unless they were thoroughly vetted. And there were others where you know, people were speaking in tongues through the entire worship service. Um, all kinds of different things like that. Um, I shared with you in the past that I became convinced during that period of time when this was all kind of getting sorted out that if I could just have some greater experience of the Holy Spirit, then I wouldn't struggle with, with sins like lust. That would that, be all taken care of. Um, and that's what kind of people would say to me. And I was prayed for by various groups that I would speak in tongues. Now, I never ended up speaking in tongues, although I've known lots and lots of people who did um, or who do. Um, but I also discovered that the people that had these gifts beyond what I had, uh, they ended up struggling with the same sins I was struggling with. So it really wasn't Uh, cure-all for everything. But it was a very messy time. We received a lot of contradictory messages. I bet that you guys aren't receiving contradictory messages. When you come to the youth group and, you know, or go to some other church, it's pretty much all the same. What we find now, I hang out with a bunch of other pastors who, you know, we all believe the Bible's reliable and we have to believe in Jesus. We disagree about who to baptize or how to run a church or a bunch of stuff. But we get along great. It wasn't like that back then. Um, There was a lot of conflicting messages. Um, and various leaders who were kind of held up as examples ended up giving in to temptation and abandoning Jesus. So there was a lot of disappointment. Um, some of that's been going on in our culture recently, but uh, it's, very, it's very easy. I love the song we just sang about being, Jesus being a firm foundation because when other people mess up, we keep our eyes on Jesus so, we, so that we don't give up on the church because of that. But there was this one little church in Isla Vista. How many of you guys know where Isla Vista is? New Santa Barbara. It's a square mile of college students. It's called Sin City. Um, long before Las Vegas was called Sin City. And um, so it's just college kids. And this church decided they were going to live in Isla Vista as adults. And they were going to have this church there. And they, they did it in this little borrowed building, um, borrowed, borrowed a space. And there are about 40 or 60 of them. And they've been involved in lots of other fellowships and communities. So... Um, and they'd been pretty disappointed and pretty disillusioned. And so um, they were really focusing just on correct doctrine and Christ-like character. And I still remember one of the leaders expressing his disillusionment with all the, because he'd known so many people that experienced powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit, healing people or prophecy or this, that. And he, and he came out and said, I wouldn't walk across the street to see somebody get healed. I thought, well, I would. I think it's pretty exciting when people get healed. All those ribbons back there on that wreath and the ones around the corner, they all represent prayers of yours that have been answered. God's doing wonderful stuff. I think he wants to do more. We're going to talk about that today. 
Um, but today in general, compared to back then, the situation in the United States is much more organized. You know, the pastors I hang out with, no, nobody's getting upset. Um, it's not messy like it was back then. I hope it gets messy again. Whenever the Holy Spirit brings revival like he did with the Jesus movement back then, it gets messy. And I hope and pray that we are gearing up for a season of growth and revival here. I hope it gets messy and that we will be prepared to handle it with grace and love and not get upset because somebody dresses differently than we do or, you know, does something that just isn't our preference. Now, how might that work here? We've talked this summer about some of the wonderful things going on with the high school students and, and middle school students. Um, we're going to look today and see how it worked in the early church and what that might mean for us. And then next week, we'll continue the focus on the early church as we, we do a series based on the book of Acts, kind of taking some events and things that might be really helpful to us. Uh, this, is, this, though, is the third of three messages about our purposes as a church, kind of who we are and what we're going to do. We take Jesus' command to make disciples very seriously. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. So that's our mission, to make disciples. And we think it's helpful to summarize what people need to experience in the process of becoming disciples and being disciples. And so we have this phrase that we think is really easy to remember, which is, be loved, love God, love others. And a lot of stuff fits into that, but we haven't stopped there because we think it's important to keep focused and not get... Um, and, and not forget some of the important purposes that we have as a church, the foundational things. And so we kind of summarize that in the five purposes here of discipleship, community, ministry, worship, and outreach. And today we're just going to focus on ministry and outreach and how that played into um, the early church, particularly the church in, in Corinth. Uh, so would you open a Bible or an app to 1 Corinthians 14... It's on page 960 in the Pew Bible if you want. And please keep it open the entire time. We're going to be looking at a lot of, a lot of text there and also flip back to chapter 12 at one point. Um, a, lot of, a lot of reading because I want to try to explain something that many people have found um, complicated, including me at some times in my life, and then see how this impacts us. So starting at verse 1 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Now, Paul has just finished chapter 13. Many of you are very familiar with chapter 13 because in the entire history of the world, it is probably the most famous and beautiful passage about love of any passage its size, which isn't, isn't all that long. And Paul inserted chapter 13 in between chapter 12, which is about spiritual gifts and power, and chapter 14, which is about spiritual gifts and power, because he wanted to make sure that the powerful supernatural gifts that people would receive and use would be carried out in love in the context of a loving community. Now, remember, what church is this written to? This 1 Corinthians 14. The church in Corinth. What was Corinth? Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Um, and they had been behaving badly. They had been having divisions and uh, choosing sides. 
Paul's their spiritual father, yet eventually they're going to break his heart, we, feel, we figure out in the next letter, and bad, get him bad-mouthed and all kinds of things. And um, they haven't been loving each other well. He writes them about how they're having their common meals together. So he's talking to them about the use of supernatural power, and he's just emphasizing it's not worth anything if it's not motivated by love. He talks about that in chapter 13. And Jesus said that that's how people will know that we are his followers, by the way. We love each other. So Paul wants us to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Well, why? What are the gifts he's talking about? Would you flip back a page to 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm just going to quickly read to you a couple of passages from that. I know it's a lot of text today, but it probably will raise a bunch of questions for you that maybe you want to look into. So starting at verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now remember that part, as he wills. So during the messy time of the Jesus movement, each group kind of explained all of these different gifts in different ways. So that made it confusing uh, because they didn't all agree. Now, since then, it's just important for you to know that these gifts in one form or another in the missions movement worldwide have been, in the decades since the Jesus movement here, experienced very prevalently. So much so that in the Protestant churches in all of the world, except for North America and Western Europe, 70% of the people following Jesus are experiencing these kinds of gifts involved in churches where they experience this. So you may not have ever experienced it. You may never have been with somebody who spoke in tongues, but this is very prevalent down through history and especially in the world today, um, not where we are. Go down to verse 27. I mean, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Again, what we read in chapter 14, a chapter later about desiring the higher gifts. So Paul's very clear that some spiritual gifts are higher than others. Speaking in tongues, apparently in the list, seems to be the lowest. For those of you who are unfamiliar with speaking in tongues, and as I said, I, I don't speak in tongues. I have prayed for many times, never happened. But I have many colleagues and friends who do, um, whom I trust. And it, the way that they, I've, as I've seen it with them, and the way that they've explained it to me, it's, it's, a, it's a language that God gives you, a spiritual language. It's supernatural. And they may not even understand what they're saying, because you have to have the gift of interpretation to understand that. And generally, when people do speak in a tongue or a spiritual language, uh, 
if a translator, if an interpreter is there, it will usually be something fairly simple like praise God or God be glorified or God is victorious. It's not usually something complicated like the book of Romans or something. Um, and what people say is what they experience is a real closeness to God, that they really sense how much he loves them. So it, it builds their confidence in God. And that way, it's a very good thing. Uh, Sometimes they sing, sometimes they pray. And Paul says in chapter 14, where we'll raise in a little bit, he wishes everybody spoke in tongues. They don't, but he wishes they all did. But he wants everyone to especially aspire to higher gifts so that they can be more useful. But what what it said in the earlier passage was that the Spirit, he wills, he decides who he gives which gifts to. And so although we ask for higher gifts, he decides. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 that uh, the wind blows where it wills. You see the effect of it. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. He said it's like that with the Holy Spirit. The point being that the Holy Spirit decides. But he gives to a group like ours all of the gifts we need to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And even though the Spirit decides, Paul says to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, so flip back to chapter 14. We're going to start there again in verse 1. Hopefully this is uh, clarifying some things for you that maybe you've wondered about for a while. Verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So Paul is urging everyone to pray and ask God to give them higher gifts, Prophesying, teaching, healing, doing miracles, helping, administrating. It's interesting, helping. You might have the spiritual gift of helping behind the scenes and God just gives you tremendous fulfillment and energy doing that. That too can be a spiritual gift. It's not just limited to the more dramatic gifts. Paul then takes a couple of paragraphs, and you can read this later, um, to explain how tongues work in the church, speaking in tongues. But then go, go down to verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now, over the years, this passage can be looked at in ways that are confusing. I'm going to try and pull together some of the things that are very, very clear for you. When outsiders hear people speaking in tongues, they sometimes think that they've lost their minds because it doesn't make any sense to them. Similar, you remember on the day of Pentecost, that the disciples were speaking in different languages. And what was the first thing Peter said to the crowd? We're not drunk. Because that's the way he felt it was sounding to outsiders. Similarly, that's the way some people respond when they hear people speaking in tongues. Another possibility is, though, that outsiders will go, whoa, something spiritual and powerful is going on here. And they will feel that God must be present. So it can go either way on that. 
Now, I want to look at the rest of this passage and then kind of tie this all together with this brief series on us looking at the purposes, specifically of ministry and of outreach. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, again, back in the Jesus movement, there were a lot of conflicting messages. Some people felt the prophecy was only if God says something to you and then you repeat it to others. Others felt that, no, it can also be uh, when you, using your brain, speak the truth, God's truth to people, like what I'm trying to do right now. That, so my own perception is, no, I do not have the gift of speaking in tongues, but I do have the gift of prophecy. Not that I receive direct words from God and then say, this is what's going to happen in the future, or that you know, this is your particular thing going on with you. So there's both of those um, ways of looking at it, and I, I kind of look at a combination of the two. Um, often some of you, and, and the idea is that, and it applies both to outsiders and insiders, that the secrets of people's hearts are revealed. And that then in humility they fall down and worship God and declare that God's here. Now some of you, not a lot of you, but a few of you will often come up to me and say, ah, you were talking directly to me today, or, or how did you know what, I was, what I've been doing? Um, so sometimes that happens, and that's the kind of thing that we pray will happen often to people, that they, through whomever is speaking up here, will hear God's voice. And they will go, oh, wow, God is really speaking to me through that person. Um, but as we finish this brief th- series on purposes, on purposes, which is clearly defining who we are and kind of what we're about, our mission to make disciples and how we are organized to stay on track with five different purposes, I want to also make something else really, really clear. The success of our church in carrying out our mission to make disciples is not ultimately dependent on how we organize ourselves. Should we organize ourselves to have our purposes and to keep us on, that keep us on track? Absolutely. It's the wise thing to do and we're supposed to be wise, especially those of us who are, are leading the church. But we also need to remember every day that we do not have the power to reach our neighbors. God has that power. God's promised to give us as a group the spiritual gifts and power necessary, the wisdom, the insights, uh, maybe power to heal people. But we pray for our neighbors and then we see throughout history that God sometimes uh, works more powerfully in one area or another. Remember, Jesus said the Spirit's a lot like the wind, kind of blows here and then blows there. And so we see throughout history that there may be this geographical region or that one or this people group or that one and all of a sudden, one of them experiences this great movement of the Holy Spirit. And lots of people come to Jesus, kind of like what we saw on houseboats this, this summer. Not everybody, but more than usual. Almost never in history has that happened in a vacuum. And so Paul is saying, ask for and earnestly desire the gifts because although the Spirit gives them as he wills. Almost never is there a revival or people receiving powerful spiritual gifts without prayer. 
It's preceded by prayer. And so one of the main things I'm asking you today is to pray. To pray more. To pray daily. To pray and, and ask the Holy Spirit to work powerfully here. To perhaps give you a gift that God will use to reveal the hearts of other people. And they'll go, oh, God's here. And, and turn their lives over to Jesus. Or heal them. Or whatever it might be. It might be helping behind the scenes. The purposes of ministry and outreach need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective. And when they are, it is exciting. Being empowered supernaturally and seeing lives change, it is one of the most satisfying things you can experience. But you notice Paul put between chapter 12 and chapter 14, chapter 13, that it has to be motivated by love and not by, oh, I want to be a star or this, that, or the other thing. But rather that this power is given to us so that we can love people well and they will see that God is present and turn their lives over to Jesus. It also is important to remember that there were a lot of people during the Jesus movement and even in recent times who experienced God working through them powerfully, casting out demons, speaking in tongues, prophesying, healing people, and yet they still waffled and succumbed to temptation and abandoned Jesus. So it has to have inner transformation that's happening at the same time. Character development, that you really do love Jesus and he is becoming more and more your foundation. I want you to think back. When Paul wrote this letter, it was probably 50, 60 AD, and the Roman Empire was doing great. They had those roads. I've walked on a Roman road, still, still there today in Israel. They had roads connecting everybody. They had one trade language. They had the rule of law. They had peace, what we call the Pax Romana, that went on for hundreds of years in general. They had wars on the outside. So there was this amount of trade, and they had, if you were a slave, it wasn't good, but they had slaves working for them, doing a bunch of the menial labor, so that people felt like the the level of prosperity in the Roman Empire and and peace and rule of law and all this was better than it had ever been in the history of humanity. That's how prosperous it was. That's why the barbarians wanted to attack and come in. They wanted to share that. It would last for several hundred years in the western half of the Roman Empire, over a thousand years in the eastern part. Um, But just to give you an idea of how prosperous it was in people's minds. A century after Paul wrote this letter, the Roman Empire peaked. And scholars think that some combination of plagues and barbarians attacking and poor discipline and administration on the part of the Roman officials led to the population of the Roman Empire declining for three centuries in a row. Now, we don't understand that because for over six centuries, we've seen the population in our part of the world grow, all parts of the world pretty much. They know this because archaeologists have excavated cities, Roman cities, where the city walls, the circumference, get smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on. Rome, some scholars think, reached a million people, something much less than that. But the city of Rome went from that 500,000 to a million people down to 100,000 or less in this period. Just something that we've never experienced. 
But the prosperity was considered so glorious that for the next 1,000 years, scholars would actually literally have debates about whether or not humanity would ever again reach the heights that it reached in the, during the Roman Empire. And most of the time, the time, the scholars would conclude, we'll never get there again. Now, obviously, you're much more prosperous than the Romans were at that time. But that's how impressed they were. And I've said to you at various times, I don't think the devil's best weapon in keeping people from joining God's family is persecution or sex or drugs. I think the best weapon is prosperity. We, all over the world, we see a far lower percentage of people turn their lives over to Jesus when they're prosperous than when they're struggling. I was in Brazil recently, and they said, you know, it's just not the same as it used to be. People are just not that open anymore. Even though they have this huge problems with relationships and their children or their spouse or addictions or uh, not having a purpose or not feeling loved, if they're prosperous, fewer turn to God. James writes, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So we now live in a much more prosperous situation than the Roman Empire did. And it, everything indicates that it's spreading and going to continue to spread even to places like Africa and places that used to be very poor are, are, are thriving more and more. And what that means is that it's going to be harder and harder to evangelize, to effectively, to be effective in our outreach to the people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Now, in addition to that, people have misunderstood us. Many people out there think that we think we're better than they are. We don't think we're than they are. We don't think we're better than they are. And many of them think that we're hypocrites, that we're not doing what we did, we're, that we're not in transformation. We're being transformed. We're slow about it. We're, we're, we, we are gradually becoming more like Jesus. Yeah, we still have, have problems. And many feel like they, they despise us because of certain moral convictions that we hold about sex or abortion, or, or they despise us for believing that Jesus is the only way to get right with God. Well, guess what? That is exactly what the inhabitants of the Roman Empire felt about the early Christians. Christians insisted that Jesus was the only way and they wouldn't make accommodations to the culture. So they, got, they really ticked off the Greco-Roman world because they were open-minded, embraced lots of other gods and religions and do whatever you want. Why did the Christians have to think they were the only ones who were right? The Romans left weak babies or unwanted female babies out to die. They felt this was important to maintain the strength of their family. Who were these Christians to say killing babies was wrong? Or that sex outside of marriage was wrong? Welcome to a situation very similar to the first century AD when Paul wrote this letter. Where Christians today are ridiculed and persecuted. Where the only way our ministry and outreach can possibly be effective is if it is supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray more every day to ask the Holy Spirit to work powerfully and to give you personally supernatural gifts to minister. I think we're heading into a wonderful season of growth and excitement. And in God's timing, well, there'll be some fantastic new senior pastor. And just want to make sure you understand, we've got great people on this and you know they want to make sure and 
hear God's voice and find the right person, and that may go faster, that may, go, may take a little longer, but we'll just be praying for them. It'll take, a, it'll take how long it takes, but they're not gonna settle. They're gonna find somebody fantastic. It'll be exciting. Meanwhile, we can prepare by praying that the Holy Spirit will pour himself out, that will build momentum, that you'll be, if you're in high school, especially, you need to be learning all the things I didn't know when I, after I turned my life over to Jesus, that I had to learn. And if you're an adult, you need to be mentoring and praying for. And especially, everyone needs not to waffle. Needs to realize that just like in the first century, you, you have to be firm about what, what the scriptures say. It's like the song we were singing, that you know, Jesus is the firm foundation. That, you know, We'll trust in him and we won't be shaken. There are going to be a lot of people who get shaken because it's, it's hard to hold firm and not waffle when your culture is saying, oh, you're a jerk, or oh, why can't you do this? Or, we just, we don't get to pick and choose. The scriptures are clear about a number of things. One of Paul's friends was named Demas. He said Demas waffled because of the prosperity. Abandoned, abandoned him. Before I turn my life over to Jesus, uh, I'm really glad you guys didn't know me. Um, pretty arrogant, pretty argumentative on the outside, but on the inside I was afraid. I, I was alone, feeling very lonely. Uh, but I went to some of these places and I just felt like God was speaking to me right through the people. And that God was there and I just, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of choice. I just felt like, wow. That's the voice of God. And I, I hope that you'll be praying that that will be happening in our small groups, in our, in our worship services, in the youth group meetings and other meetings, that people will hear, that the, the, their hearts will be searched and revealed by people talking and speaking God's message to them. We're, we're a bunch of followers of Jesus banded together. And what Jesus promises is that he will give us the spiritual gifts and the spiritual power we need to accomplish the mission he's given us of making disciples. God will give you what they need so you can give it to them and it will be exciting and it will be probably more satisfying than anything you've ever done. So be praying, be expectant. Um, we are, I believe we're coming into a powerful season that'll be immensely satisfying. So prepare now by praying. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.